Well, good morning to you today. I woke up a little hoarse this morning. I know some of you are looking and saying, you don't look like a horse and you're not little. Oh, I got five people to laugh. I'm doing well. I'm on a roll. I am glad you're here this morning. And uh, last week we began this, uh, uh, I think it's a six or seven Sunday series. And uh, we talked about why we as a church have a vision or, or even, even why you as an individual should have a vision and a purpose statement written out. And we looked last Sunday how we have this proclivity and this tendency to drift towards self. Uh, we tend to call that selfishness. And uh, it creeps up all the time. And I would believe and I would argue right from the Garden of Eden, right from the point where Eve said, I'm going to do what God has told me not to do. I'm going to do my own thing. It's all about me. How dare God hold out on me? And that kind of root-based sin, it is so much in uh, the Scripture describes that we're all born into sin. And we, we all have this tendency or this proclivity. I was just reading an article yesterday about uh, uh, narcissism. And it had 15 signs if you're a narcissist. And I had to read it just to make sure I was a narcissist. No, I'm joking. I, I didn't hit all of them, so hopefully you can be glad of that. Or I'm in denial. I'm not sure. But as I read the article about narcissism, it, it just talked about how male boys, when they're teenagers, seem to have the biggest struggle, and, and I'll call it selfishness. Everything is about them. In fact, I talked to a parent this morning who said, yeah, I got a 14-year-old, and he doesn't want to hang out with mom and dad anymore, and he just wants to do his own thing, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. And uh, this article said that they said, fortunately, most boys grow out of that. But some don't, and they become very selfish adults. Well, I would argue that we all have a little bit of a proclivity just to focus on us, just to focus on me. And so we looked at that last Sunday, and it reminded me of a story. Now, uh, this story, it's about a lighthouse, and a lighthouse representing that, uh, the, it really is a story and a picture of the church. Uh, we are a lighthouse. We are to reach the world with the truth of the gospel. And what God has done through Jesus Christ and kind of the condition of man and all that stuff, well, anyway, this lighthouse um, it, it all began in this community that was on a rocky shore and they kept having shipwrecks and lots of people were dying. So somebody in the town called a meeting and they formed this lighthouse society and they decided the best thing that they could do to sort of cut down on things was they would build a lighthouse so that they could actually warn the ships, there's rocks here, be careful. That really helped, and the Lighthouse Committee kind of evaluated, are we on task, are we doing, do we need a brighter light? And they determined actually what they needed to do was, uh, now the warning's out there, but sometimes that doesn't always help, and so they decided to buy some boats, some rowboats, so they could go out and rescue those people that had been shipwrecked. Things went really well for a lot of years. They never had a problem with the light being shiny, the boats being in repair. But fairly soon, over time, 
the Lighthouse Society began to kind of create structure and rules and, and edifices that were all, in fact, they expanded the Lighthouse so that they could have an area to have potlucks together. They, they, they began to have a, a place, uh, some bowling alleys and a whole bunch of other stuff because they thought, well, well, we need to be taken care of. It didn't take long as the story goes that the light no longer worked and the boats were in disrepair. But oh, the, the lighthouse had a lot of people still coming, but over time it kind of declined. And friends, we as a church, we as individuals, we have the same potential to forget why we exist as a church. So we as a church, we've come up with this symbol and first service we didn't quite get it, but I think I was told and promised it would be right. I'm going to make her nervous. There we go. You can see the symbol, and this represents... Ooh, I'm still showing up there. I can still wave. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, cheeky back there they are. Uh, that, that center symbol, it really represents why we do everything around the circle. The center symbol represents that we are all focusing on Jesus. We are worshiping him. That is why we do it. That sort of Romans 12 kind of idea, in view of God's mercies, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, so everything that in that circle is all to draw people into worship Jesus, and we do it all because of Jesus. So at the very top, uh, there's that kind of telescope, uh, eyeglass thing there, and that represents uh, a, a very important component that we're going to talk about this morning, but it represents explore. Uh, it used to be what we used to call reach a few years ago, but we as a church are a lighthouse, and there's people being shipwrecked, and we are going to be careful that it's not all about us, but it's about those that we need to reach. Now, the puzzle piece has to do with connecting. Uh, that's one of Pastor Wes's portfolios. That we as a church, we, we will help people reach out and come into Jesus, come into the church, and then we want them to connect with each other. Uh, the leaf has to do, and i got to get my list here properly. Uh, see, they told me to turn my light down because I was producing my own light. Oh, there it comes. Uh, the leaf has to do with growing in your faith and... Uh, it's funny, I was just having a conversation with somebody after the first service that said, uh, I couldn't believe how, I really, I, I, I didn't believe it, and I knew it wasn't true, but I had started to act like I had grown as much as I could as a Christian. And he began to mention some of the stuff that God was taking, some of the tools, some of the scriptures, some of the things that God was teaching him, and I, I just got so excited. I mean, this guy was in his 50s like me. And he was coming on fire for God. And so it is our desire that we never stop growing. There's more to be had. And then those little wrenches, and as a good backyard mechanic, I love those wrenches. And uh, those wrenches have everything to do with serving. Because uh, if we reach out to the people, and we get them connected, and we get people growing, the outcome, now think about the lighthouse analogy, the outcome is that we actually begin to serve the lighthouse. We serve the master. We want to reach the lost. We want to help each other. We want to serve. Oh, and we've got so many cool... I mean, our faith and deed ministry, I, I can't remember how many people now are involved in that, but we have so many people in our city that are hearing about Jesus because they've ended up at rock bottom. 
And we've got a team of people empowered with some of your blessings and your gifts, and they're going out to the highways and byways, and they're blessing people with a pair of shoes and, and a jacket and some food in the cupboard. I, I just was, uh, Rod's been away on holidays, and I get to sign off on some of the expenses, and I saw somebody's rent got paid. And I went, oh, that's cool. And, and I know the FID team, uh, they really are working towards helping people discover who Jesus is, uh, connect in the church, uh, grow. I mean, they, they have Bible studies, the whole thing, and, and ultimately so that we serve, so that the circle just keeps going around. The final little symbol there with the arrows, uh, it has to do with reaching the world. And uh, we will be a missions-reaching organization. Uh, this has been so exciting because uh, this church has always been good for missions, especially dollar-wise, but we've, we've wanted to as we've grown, we've wanted to ramp it up, and uh, I believe Ruth told me we have eight to ten current missionaries that we are their primary supporters. Pat yourself on the back. That's good stuff. That's a, that's a good sign, because you know you're a lighthouse. You know you're a lighthouse. And I understand, as Ruth has said, she said there's seven or eight people in the hopper. That means they're in college or they're in the process of applying that want to become missionaries. And, and this is exciting stuff. Uh, it really has a, has a good feel that we actually are still a lighthouse. Our light is still shining. and We are committed as a church to keep being that. And to combat the drift to selfishness, we as a church want to continue, number one, to invite people to explore. To explore faith, to explore who they can be in Christ, to explore that, that God loves them. And we want to look this morning at three reasons why outreach, why reaching out, why this inviting others must be one of the first cores of this church. So looking at these three reasons, number one, why we do outreach, why we believe in this first principle is the lostness of man. If we forget that that neighbor you smile at and wave at, the teller that you say thank you to, the mechanic that you criticize, maybe a little bit harsh, if we forget that those people, if they don't know Jesus, will spend an eternity into hell, we're in deep trouble. A man is lost. Uh, we know from Genesis chapter 3, and we went at that a little bit a while ago, uh, that Adam and Eve were living in a perfect world, in a perfect relationship with God. They used to walk with God in the evening, and then they decided to rebel against God, first the woman, then the man, and as we read in the scriptures in Genesis 3.23, we read, So the Lord God banished him, Adam, and therefore Eve, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out. Friends, this is a consequence to sin. Now, it just makes me laugh so much lately as I think this through that that people, they talk about God being love, and God is love. I mean, look at his plan of salvation. Look how Jesus came to the earth, God's one and only son, to die on the cross that we might have life and have it to the full. This is incredible. But you need to understand that God being love doesn't mean that he doesn't let us have consequences for our sin. Some of them are natural, some are not. I mean, look at our judicial system in Canada. If we were just to say, we're just going to be all loving to each other, we're never going to, and, and I lend you $1,000, and we write on a paper with the lawyer that you'll pay me $100 a month 
until it's paid off. But then we follow this principle, Anthony's love or all love, I'm not going to pay him back. You understand how the system would start to crash. And this, as we look through the scriptures, we start to understand when Adam and Eve sinned, it actually brought a, a, a heavy, burdensome weight on the world. It began to destroy the whole ecosystems of the earth. I mean, I don't believe there was hurricanes and bad weather and everything until Adam and Eve came in. In fact, we know in the scriptures that when Jesus returns, when the last judgment day happens, that the lamb and the lion will lay down together. They no longer want to devour each other. You don't understand. We don't understand the consequences to sin in this world. And you say, well, if God's so loving, why is the world so evil? Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Why do we think a loving God who literally holds together the fabric of creation would allow a random radical element man go through creation wrecking everything? There had to be consequences. But praise God, he's always had a plan of redemption for mankind. And here's the thing I want you to understand. This plan that we're going to look at, he's a gentleman and he won't force anybody into it. There are people around that will take a few verses here and there and say, uh, uh, God, Jesus died on the cross and everybody's going to go to heaven and God's going to redeem everybody. You don't understand, God is a gentleman and he doesn't force anybody. And in fact, as we read the scriptures, we understand that we've got to bend our knee. We need to say with our tongue, I am a sinner needed of a Savior. He is God and I am not. But praise God, he has a plan of redemption. So point number two. Yeah, man is sinful, but point number two, the mercy of God. I mean, this kind of stuff, it motivates us as a church to be a church that reaches out. The mercy of God. And John 3.16, of course, says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son. And Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Oh, and here it comes. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, friends, it, it is really true that God took the punishment of our sins. We had consequences. We, we all are born into this world. We, we all have this proclivity to selfish, selfishness. But God, listen to this, 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself, Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why did he do that? Why did he die on the cross? Why did he take our sins? Listen to this. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The first admission, whether you're in Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is, the first step is to say, I have a problem. I'm broken. The first step in coming to Jesus, to receiving the beautiful gift, is to see and recognize you need it. I remember when my oldest son was seven years old. He did something needing punishment. For the life of me, I can't remember what it was. And this was before the anti-spanking laws came in, so I think I'm free to share it. Uh, maybe my son can take me to court. Maybe he couldn't. I don't know. But anyway, um, it was one of those kind of things that I thought, if this behavior carries on, 
if there isn't behavior modification, this could get really serious as an adult. I don't remember what it was, but I can remember sitting him down and explaining to him, and you have to understand, and my family all know, oh, I might be gruff and tough sounding, but I am a softy. I am so soft. And I sat down with my son and I said, well, son, there's only one option here. I need to spank you. And I can remember, as son, he's just weeping. He's saying, Dad, I can't bear the punishment. And I'm so soft, and so I got this bright idea. I, I laid on the bed, and he's, Dad, what are you doing? I said, take the wooden spoon. He took, I said, now I want you to spank me. And you're all laughing. Well, he basically laughed, too. I said, no, hit me. He hit me. I said, a little harder. I can't even feel that. That's not punishment at all. And after we went through, and he laughed, and I laughed, and I hurt a little bit. After we were done at all, I sat him on the bed, and I said, and this is where it comes. Do you know that God did this for us? We deserve punishment. We deserve death. That's a consequence of sin. But Jesus Christ, not only did he suffer and die like we deserve, but he took away our sins. He took away our punishment. I was driving home, and last week I quoted Charles Stanley, and I couldn't help it. It's Wednesday night. I was here doing a Hearing God session. And I'm driving home, and uh, Charles Sandy, I, I think he's in his late 70s. So he's from the old school. And uh, I heard, I, you know, I have not heard a fire and brimstone preacher like that in years. Uh, he was so on fire. He, he, was, he was being blunt. He, he talked about hell. Can you believe his audacity to actually talk about the consequences? And he talked about hell as, as fire eternal fire and then he said and it also is darkness so this this kind of sense of a, a utter separation from each other and from god a, an aloneness and he goes i don't know how you can have fire and darkness but but he said the bottom line is it's not a place nice place and you don't want to go there and then he explained this principle how jesus died on the cross to take punishment of our sins and all you need to do is receive it admit it and receive it admit you're a sinner and receive his grace and then he made a statement, and it's kind of gnawed at me all week. He said, there's going to be some here today. There's going to be some here today who have heard this message four, five, ten times. And you're not ready. You're too afraid. You're not sure. And he said, I hate to say this, but you're going to be in that lake of fire for eternity. And it's going to play over and over and over in your mind all the times you had a chance to receive Jesus. And he didn't do it. And then I'm going to do it here right now as he did. If you have not received Jesus, if you haven't asked him into your heart, right now is the day to do that. I'm going to pray. And if you are here and you want to receive Jesus, just agree with my words quietly in your mind. And you have a chance to come to faith. Heavenly Father, as we bow our heads, if there's somebody here today that needs to receive you, may they do that. May in the quietness of their mind, may they say, yes, I understand that there's consequences to sin and I need a Savior. I understand that you died on the cross for me, taking the punishment of my sins. I understand that on the third day you rose again, proving what you came to do. I receive you, Jesus, come into my heart. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. 
If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to eternal life. And there's so much more. There, there's so much deeper. And again, after first service, this, this guy about my age is talking about how God's taking him deeper and he's experiencing new emotional healing. He, he talked about being at Rising Above recently with Mel Sigoko and, and what Mel kind of walked him through in his soul wounds and his hurt. And he said, I have more freedom than I've experienced ever before. He said, I had no idea there was more to have. So not only is man fallen, and that should inspire us, our neighbors are going to hell unless we tell them. <laughs> not only has God brought a beautiful plan of, plan of salvation, of redemption. Uh, he's died on the cross. He sent his one and only son. But third and, and the final reason to why we need to be a church that has this kind of whole explore thing, the third and final reason, and it comes in a group of questions, and these questions in essence say, this is the call of God. Come on. Uh, listen, turn to Romans 3.23, and we, we understand that man is lost, and for all have sinned and fall short of the God. We understand that in 1 Corinthians 5.18 that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. Oh, my dear. Oh, no. Did you understand? Do you realize? And I have a question for God. Why would you put such an important message on my shoulders? I think I know the answer. Because God couldn't save us as being God. He became fully a man. And for us to save the world, it needs to be us who tells the world. Did you know there could be somebody that has not received Jesus because of your fear, because of your shyness, because of your lack of faith, because of Jesus hasn't been transforming in you? Do you know what's at stake for your children, your grandchildren, for your neighbors and your co-workers? You have been given, I have been given this message of reconciliation. Did you know that God wants everybody to be saved? 2 Peter 3.9 says it so well. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Oh, there's a lot of people say, why is this evil going on? Oh, God, would you return? Jesus would, you know, sort of the revelation. Would you come, Lord Jesus, come? And, and honestly, I feel that and I pray that because I don't like evil reigning. But honestly, let's think it through. If Jesus were to return, and I know he could come in an instant. If Jesus were to return and say, enough of evil. I have family members, I have friends, I have neighbors that have not yet received Jesus, and that's the end. So God is not slow in keeping his promises as some believe. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, don't get complacent. Don't get selfish. Don't think, well, it's been 2,000 years now since Jesus died. You know, maybe it'll be another 2,000 years. What does my ministry, what does my action, what does my serving, what does my growth have to do with the kingdom of God? God is choosing and calling you to be reconciled. God has called the church to help people to explore to find faith. Here comes the compelling cause. Here comes the, the group of questions. And, and the group of questions, bottom line says, how will they know? Listen to this, Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on the name? How then can they call 
on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. These, these roses over here, I'm not going to tell you the lady who instigated this, but I, I was just talking to her husband after first service, and they were talking about what they want to write on their tombstones. And the lady who led these people to Christ, these eight or ten people, and I believe there was another eight that recommitted their lives, she wants written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news on her tombstone. <laughs> there is a purpose. There's a reason to live. Oh, Matthew 28, one of the final statements of Jesus. In verse 18, Jesus says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all the power, all the authority. Therefore, now he's reaching his hands out to us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to a, the grow thing, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yeah, we are the reconcilers, but he is with us. He's leading us. He's filling us. His Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. There's a scene that haunts me. And that scene is at the, the last judgment call when, when the trumpet blasts, and, and then there's this great throne judgment that happens, and those who are saved get to go into glory. And, and then there's this other judgment where the sheep and goats are separated. And what kind of got this I'll call it a nightmare in my head, was the song from years ago. The song's called Thank You. And I'm not saying anything about the author, but at this point he was living for the Lord. And, and the words to the song go like this, and you're going to wonder why it haunts me, but just stay with me. I dreamed I went to heaven. You were there with me. We walked along the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing, then someone called your name. You turned and saw a young man. He was smiling as he came. He said, friend, you may not know me now, but then he said, but wait. You used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. Every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. One morning when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. Then another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church? His pictures made you cry. You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. Jesus took the gift you gave, and that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And the song goes on. So here's what haunts me. All my times of self-centeredness and selfishness and fear, when I've been afraid, when the Holy Spirit has been specifically telling me to tell, and I haven't, when that person is at the judgment, the seat of Christ, and he looks over to me and he says, why didn't you tell me? 
that terrifies me. And it should terrify us all. You know that you've been called to be reconcilers? You know that it's the sheep that give birth to other sheep? In other words, one could argue it's not the pastor necessarily his only job. I wonder how many my fear or selfishness kept me from telling about Jesus. So here's the conclusion. Our life journey as a church starts with exploring the faith. And it has been so exciting as a church, whether it's our Alpha that has, has been around the church for a lot of years, but every different leader comes. I led it for a couple of years. Jonathan Sigoko left us a couple of years. Um, there's been others, but, but currently right now, Ray Nelson's leading it, and it's growing. She has two or three times a year where she runs it, and she has 40 or 50 people. It's been incredible, and it's a clear presentation of the gospel, and it's an opportunity. If you're a little shy, invite somebody to come along to Alpha. Uh, just talk to Ray or phone the church or look on our website, and you can see when it starts. We are a church that's exploring the faith. We are a church that leads others to explore the faith. We, we have a couple of outreaches a year. We do our, we started off with our Father's Day thing many years ago, and it followed on a long season of outreach that this church has done, and, and I believe we had about 6,000 people on our property last year. Now, we, we wrestle over the thing, and you remember last year, I think it was Pastor West said, go out there and rub shoulders, because it's hard to get them in here. And uh, that's why we put the burgers in here, so they at least have to come. We, we've tried to have speakers, but they still didn't really come in and see. Because we want, for a, we don't want to just have a fun, I mean, I love cars. You know, I've got a, a fixer-upper that I bought last summer, and I really enjoy doing that. But that, the reason I do it, the reason we do Father's Day is to reach the community. We want to be known for that. We have Global Leadership Summit that we do in August. And that really is to reach out to the business community. It's good leadership training stuff. And, and we've had people come to faith in Christ through that. Uh, we as a church, a, a few years ago, we've always done Christmas Eve services, but the elders and the staff, I think it was four or five years ago, we said, you know what, we can do this bigger and better. And I remember we came to you as a church, the whole serve thing, and we said, this is going to be a sacrifice, because I know it's all about family. And over, I think, 150 to 200 of you have volunteered for Christmas Eve. And we try to get you out of here by 6, 6.30, the Christmas Eve service. Some people wish we did a later service, but just with that many volunteers, it'd be tough to do. Did you know last year we had over 2,000 people come? I talked to somebody recently that comes to the church because of Christmas Eve. This is a lighthouse ministry. This is a rowboat going out and rescuing those who are lost. This is what we are as a church. It isn't about banquet halls and bingo and entertainment and showing. I mean, we like to have fun together. Don't get me wrong. Number two, God has called you to be a reconciler of men to God. Please understand that. And like I said, if you're shy, bring them to GLS. Bring them to the Christmas Eve service. Bring them to uh, Alpha. You know, sometimes it's just being a friend. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, just love people. And you know what? If you are growing in your faith like this 50-year-old guy I talked to this morning, or, or with me where I think I'm growing in the faith still, people are going to notice. They're going to say, what's with you? You used to be such a crank, and now you're always nice. I'm not talking about being a plastic Christian, a fake Christian. 
You know, some of being a Christian is I often will say, I'm just grumpy today. In fact, I woke up this morning and said I was grumpy. And my wife texted me and said, I love you. And I said, I am sorry I was so grumpy. And she said, I knew you were grumpy, but I love you anyway. And I thought, whew, good. I'm such a good guy to have a wife like that. And the final third point. Do you have an answer to give to those who ask why you're different? And what I should have had is a whole bunch of materials for you. But we do have the different programs you can bring them to. But let me challenge you to figure it out. There's, some, there's a Romans road that you can use. You can just tell your own story. I heard of somebody who told me their story of coming to faith when they were 14 in a friend's house. And they just wept, they said. Oh, it's just so cool, so incredible. Are we that church? Are you that individual? Am I that individual? Do I help people to explore the faith, or is it just all about me? You know, when a movement of God happens, the, the, the old hymn we sang, that was done in the 1800s. Uh, they, it, they started writing music left and right because it was so on fire for God what was going on. And over time, we as a church, we, we get stuck. We, we start thinking, oh, it's just all about us, and we, we start reminiscing about the old days, and we, we try to have the old days like they were. And again, it's just us, 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 us. Do you remember when? And pretty soon, cutting edge, preaching, singing, building, outreach, suddenly we've become this 19. Can you imagine the good things going on now in 20 years? We're still doing the same things? I sure hope we're not. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father. We commit. And I say as the lead pastor, and I know the elders and staff are behind me, and so is most of the congregation, we commit that we will be a church that explores the faith. We will draw people in. We will share people the love of Jesus. We will, we will demonstrate transformation in front of them. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. <laughs> but people will be drawn to Jesus when they see me changing. Oh God, help us to stop being so stuck and self-centered. Oh God, we want to be a church that reaches, that helps people to explore. <laughs> Take our Alpha ministry that's grown over the years and grow it even bigger. Uh, we used to be a denomination, God, where, where people would throw their jewelry in the offering plate. And, and even a couple of weeks ago, somebody threw some earrings in that I'm told are worth quite a bit. And, and this is so cool, God. This isn't about me. This isn't about us. It's about the cross. It's about pushing back the gates of hell. For God so loved the world that he sent him was his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. <laughs>